you've touched on something that I I've seen, you know, and 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 this is the the lazy scouting, if I could use that term, because uh, as a youth player, I remember I played in the system. Um, we 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 were youngsters at at Manning Rangers. It was myself, Mohammed Bamji, Nikipiten Matombo. We were the youngsters in the team, and every every time the under twenty national team got put together. Mohammed and Nikipi Ten Matombo would get called up all the time, all the time. Yet none of us were playing. So I used to think to myself, how are these guys getting called up? None of us are playing. Who's watching us? But because they were on the radar before, they were just being called up. And, and it comes back to this lazy scouting, not yeah. going out there to look for players. So yes. people are falling through the through the cracks. This has to be repaired because our national teams are not doing well like they should be. We're not making the impact like we should be on the international stage, which is just a really sad thing. Yeah, it's absolutely sad. I mean, there's so much uh, so much benefits that you can derive from a, a national team that does well. I mean, you can see the euphoria with uh, with Morocco now. I mean, I've been seeing watching uh, certain clips on social media, and you can see what it means to them. I mean, Argentina have had a holiday now for the team that has won the World Cup. I mean, there's so much goodwill attached to it. And you know what is sad is when you go abroad and you study, you find that people mock your country. I mean, there was a time when we thought we had qualified. I think it was for CAF or one of the two. And we didn't because we didn't work out the permutation. And when I went to Brazil, they were, you know, they were jokingly saying, tongue in cheek, uh, your country, how can you celebrate if you haven't even won? You know, because guys were dancing there and celebrating, and it wasn't the case that we qualified. So it was an embarrassing thing. We didn't even, you know, we didn't even take note of that. Anyway, in the world, I can tell you now, after Germany was knocked out of the World Cup, they've been having meetings, they've been having workshops, they've been now looking at solutions. They're a world power in, uh, uh, in football. I mean, they, they're one of the most powerful countries beating Brazil at home, 7-1. I mean, you don't just do that. But they know when there's a crisis. They will go back to the drawing board. They will find solutions. And they will ensure that the next time out, they have a huge improvement. What do we do? The minute we, 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 we don't qualify, we have selective journalism. If the journalists like the guy, they won't say too much. Or like, or, uh, you know, have a good relationship with the association, they won't say too much. Then you get other journalists who say something about it. But I think we must speak in a, in, in, in a united uh, uh, way in saying what is needed. We're not attacking anybody. We're not attacking individuals. We're attacking a problem. The problem is that South African football is not where it should be. We constantly say our president, uh, Safa, Danny Jr. said, we must produce world-class players. That's my dream. I do it every day. I sit every day. I research. I look at different ways. I look at the method I'm using. I'm thinking, what can I do better to ensure that this specific player can improve? I've got a player who's 14 now turning 15 kg. Unbelievable. He started with us at eight years old. And you can see when a kid starts at a young age, how quick he's now playing with men in the league that we play in the castle league. And at 14 now, he holds his own. He scores against them. Physically, he's not, but he's intelligent. His technique is refined. He's brilliant. Now, that is the type of players. And I'm mentioning him because we need to produce more cages. We need to put, I mean, everybody raved about Luther saying, yes, good player, came at a young age too, okay? We need more of those players to come through and we need to ensure 
that every one of us contribute to the bigger picture. I'm not talking of SAFA alone. I'm talking about SAFA, the government, the private sector, businesses. Everybody must come to the party because when we focus on the decline, we only look at SAFA and say, no, SAFA is the custodians, but they are not, they're not uh, the only ones that need to, to, to contribute. What about local business? What about in areas where companies have so much uh, uh, invested, where they, where they thrive off the communities? What are they giving back? Let's say your big supermarkets. Why don't they contribute to development programs? Why don't we, we ensure that schools where these kids are going to are given the proper coaching and development? Because most of the time, it's somebody who's, you know, who hasn't got anything to do after hours. He's the coach. So he does more harm than good. Because, I mean, you know, as a young player, you must have met up with that guy who was to make you run a lot and never, ever really uh, focused on your individual development, more well, at winning clubs. Coach, you talk about run a lot. That's all we ever did until... So I played under two managers who are both very successful. Very, very successful. First one is Gordon Ingerson. Very, very successful manager. But I've never run so much in my life. I remember we used to go to the uh, race course and we used to run on the race course track. Um, and, and it was... You know, I, I just thought to myself, is this what football is about? And then Ted Dumitri came after Gordon left. Yeah. And I've never been fitter. I'm not lying to you. And we, yeah. we hardly used to run, coach. We hardly used to run under Ted. Under Ted, it was a type of football. We never didn't have the ball. Never. Yeah. We Everything was it, yeah. Everything worked with the ball. It was short. It was sharp. It was not long periods as well. We trained for 45 minutes. I used to think, hey, man, are we going to be fit here? <laughs> are we going to be fit here? 45 minutes. And we're going home. I'm thinking, I, I, I feel like I haven't trained. Yeah. And no, yet, it makes under, sense. Gordon, under Gordon, I would go home and sleep for maybe six hours. <laughs> now, you know what you're saying uh, makes me smile because I worked with both of them as an assistant. I worked with uh, Gordon as an assistant. And there's things I learned from him, his man-managing skills. He was brilliant with how to manage players. He would, he would never tell a player that he was rubbish. He would, use, he would be very tactful and he would know which are his players that he can, can, can really get a lot from, you know. But far as tactics and training was concerned, I can't rate him because he was not even qualified, I think, at that stage of time. But then I worked with Ted and as you said, we worked with the ball. But it was good to work with him because I'd been his student and it was easy for me to fit in. And he got me. In fact, he went, he asked Keza to get me from Santos, where I was coaching at the time, and he said, Look, I, I need Farouk to work with me. And we went on to win the league and uh, a couple of cups after that before he resigned. So understand where you're going. And this is the other confusing aspect is that players are put through so much of turmoil in their coaching careers that one coach differs completely from the other. You could find a very talented player not being given an opportunity, not because he's not good enough, because he's over-talented. Over he's too skillful. He keeps the ball too long. He's not pragmatic in the coach's view. He's not that, that player who's able to play the ball early up front and do all the hard work and the running. And So, so, so you, you get skillful players that are sometimes marginalized because they are too skillful. And, and this is where I think Safa has now decided to have coaching courses and I hope and pray that we have a coaching course that highlights our philosophy, our style, because any successful nation have a specific way of playing. 
And if we can have that happening, I think we, we, we're on the right track. You know, um, you're touching on this, I, I, on, on philosophy and the style of play. Like, under those two managers, I could tell you very, very quickly, on a Monday, under Gordon, Monday, hard running. Hard running. <laughs> Tuesday, moderate running. Wednesday, shadow football playing. Thursday, running. Friday, free kicks. That, that was the routine, okay? Yeah. Under Ted... I remember us going to training one day. I'll never forget this. We, he takes us to the center of the field. We're standing in the center of the field in our gear, ready to, and we have a coaching clinic on how to tackle. That, that's what he spoke about. Yeah. So I started now thinking about the game. Okay. I never thought of it under Gordon. I was just like in a zone, you run, you run hard. And after you've run hard, you run harder. But under Ted, I remember standing there, coach, and he was saying, position yourself. You don't always need to throw yourself into the tackle. This is yeah. how you narrow down the angle to stop him. And then the supporting player comes in to, to, to defend. Cover, yeah. You know, and you start thinking to yourself, listen, I'm learning parts of the game I've never spoke about. Then he spoke to us about a, a butterfly position. I remember him using the terminology that sits in front of the defending four. Yeah, number six, yeah. Yes, and the effectiveness of that player and how that player starts moves but also defends attacks. So then you start seeing the game in a different light. Now now I'm, I'm not just running hard. I'm being educated Absolutely. in a style of play. And you just Absolutely. think, wow, that is good team management and i think this is what our players need coach and what you speak about so so well yeah look it's it's just a case of when you get to the level where you guys got with ted it was a case of managing the player and highlighting those factors that you spoke about uh, i think on the flip side what you see with coaches that make players run is firstly they don't have enough knowledge to pass on so the easiest thing is to make the players tired and make them think they're working hard and that is obviously the case you find uh, a lot of coaches who are tactically uh, poor, uh, who don't have technical skills that they can pass on, uh, end up making players do a lot of physical running. But there is a benefit to that in the sense you'll find a lot of players that do hard running the first few games of the season, they do extremely well. Only to find when they get past the middle part of the season, they start declining and that's where they start ending up fighting relegation. We've seen it in South Africa with a lot of coaches. They do a lot of hard running. And everybody says, wow, look at this team go. It's because fitness also has a, has a lifespan. And what Ted was basically doing is he was building up, he had a macro cycle. So he planned the whole season. And I worked with him for a number of years, so I know exactly what he was, what he was doing. And this is important. He planned his season and said, okay, during this period, I've got a cup game. I've got another cup game. I've got the league to think about. How do I manage it? the fitness of my players. But I'm not just talking about physical fitness. I'm talking about mental fitness. Because you know, when you used to run and sleep as well as you did, you were mentally drained as well. And how can you have a player performing at the highest level when he's mentally, mentally drained? And this is the other thing we don't understand is when we punish players by making them do a lot of hard running, where, they, where they're not allowed to develop progressively, because fitness is progressive. 
when you start, if I start a training program, I first start at a very low level of intensity, so it's more aerobic. Once the aerobic base is built up, now I start with speed and all the other uh, uh, explosive aspects in the anaerobic phase. And once I've developed that fitness, I don't need to keep on running throughout the season because I've already got the fitness base. So that six weeks of preparation is all I need to build that fitness base. Thereafter, all I'm doing is managing, maintaining, that's a better word, maintaining the fitness. So when you go to Man City, there's no hard running in the week because they can't run. They've got two games. They've got a Wednesday game or a Monday game. You can never ever. So what they do is they ensure that they maintain the fitness and they sure and ensure that there's regeneration. Meaning when the brain makes all of that type of hard running in the game, the best thing to do thereafter is try to regenerate him, not to add more uh, loading to him because you're going to let him break down with injuries. He's going to become injury prone. And this is the science which we didn't know until we went to Brazil and we learned the science. And now we realize why is it that their players can play three games sometimes in a week? And we complain when our players play two games. It's because we do what you just mentioned, what Gordon does, hard running, moderate running, hard running. So what are you doing? You're burning the player out. I mean, his body, his glycogen levels get depleted. How does he replenish it? Because when he goes home, he's probably not eating properly. He's got a girlfriend or he's got a mate at the flat. And what they're doing is they're just getting takeaways. They're not getting the right uh, uh, nutrition. They're not getting the right sleep because when you're overtired, you can't sleep. Now, you, all you of know, these you, you, touched, effect, coach, you know, you touched on something. The first person in that period and and it, it, it's listen we're not gordon bashing here we're not but there's a contrast we're speaking about no we're just using it as a comparative as an, stuff as an example i remember ted saying to us the first person to ever speak to us about food ted said from this point onwards as i start i want you to start buying fresh oranges as much as possible and eating fresh oranges the vitamin C you take from that is important in your recovery. And I'm st I remember standing there and thinking, why? <laughs> why? Because you must remember, we were so mechanical in the hard running that there was no thought pattern. No thought. And maybe maybe that was just me. But under Ted, there was the almost a holistic now. Okay. You need to think of your diet, make sure you hydrate yourself very well during the week when you're not at football and make sure you have as many oranges as you can during the week. So I started thinking to myself, oh, I need to buy oranges now. <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> but is it the parts of the game that are crucial to player development? No, absolutely. I mean, you can't divorce the, the different aspects of development. There's different performance factors, the five performance factors, which is your technical, physical, tactical, psychological, and social, you cannot ignore any of those because it's like having a chair and out of those five legs, three of them are not working, the chair will fall over. Similarly, to, to, to sport in general, not only football, any sport, those five performance factors are key. But to complement those five performance, you, you need to ensure your nutrition, your training, and your rest. Those are three very key factors. So you're going to constantly encourage players to sleep properly to have a minimum of eight hours a day or even more at times and to ensure that they eat properly the right nutrition you manage with oranges another form is peanuts good nutrition you know because we are not as fortunate to have the nutrition they have at these big clubs in europe and south america they have five meals not three meals five meals a day and those five meals are very well planned by a dietitian so you would go with your card clock in at the cafeteria and your meals would be served to you and you can see the growth because 
they complement the type of loading with the proper diet. I mean, I've got a youngster now, he's, he's under 17, was under 17 captain at Wanda Kosafa. Uh, and uh, he's been with us, he was with us for like about five or six years, Sishi. He then decided he needed to move on at the age of 17, 18. He wanted to move on. You know, kids get a bit impatient. He ended up now at Stellenbosch in, in the Western Cape. And when he came down in the December break, and I looked at this boy physically, he looks big and strong. Even though he's only there for about six months. And but when I put him on the field, technically he lost a bit, you know. So I realized what they do there is they got a fantastic center at Stellenbosch. They live in, in a combination where there's a gym. So when he gets up, he goes to a gym for an hour, he eats very well, and then he trains. I don't really subscribe to the hourly gym because I think I only use the gym training when it's injury rehabilitation. I like to train players on the field, in the environment, and I use a lot of physical loading, which I think at times are equal or better. And I, and, and I, I do circuits because I think circuit training, which is functional, where the ball and the resistance or the jumping or the sprinting is involved, players become functionally fit for football. When you put them in the gym, sometimes they become a bit big and, and muscular. You sacrifice a bit of the agility and coordination, which I'm very passionate about because I think footballers need to be very agile and coordinated. So Athletes. that's my belief. And yeah. I don't bash people that put players in there. Some guys that like putting their players into the gym every day and pumping iron, it's their prerogative. I won't personally do it. But why I'm using this comparison is because when Sishi was with us, he, he, he wasn't as big because the nutrition wasn't as good because our nutrition is a bit limited on, on as far as uh, our, our financial uh, uh, abilities allowed us to do. There he's, he's allowed to eat better, train harder, but he's lost his skills. So you've got to balance that. It's a very thin line. And I think with South African players, we need to ensure that we don't fall into the trap of looking at being physical specimens, but sacrificing our technical gift that we have. Uh, our technical ability on the ball, our playing intelligence, because those are key factors. You could be physically the strongest player, but if you are not good technically and you can't read the game well and you, your decision-making is not good, then you're never going to be able to play in Europe. And that is why Stars of Africa has been successful in getting players to Europe, because we emphasize on those things. We don't only emphasize on the physicality, we emphasize on all five performance factors. Coach, you've been so wonderful with your time. Um, I. I want to just say, let's look at your academy now. You know, I'd like to just come into your academy. Tell us more about your academy and, and the impact you're making with your academy and what what impact it's making on not just local teams, but abroad as well. Let me give you a brief history. The academy started when I was still coaching at Santos in Cape Town, one of my former players who's now my partner, Nadim Mahmoud. He's a, a, a guy that does uh, import-export. He's based now in Portugal. So born in Mozambique, eventually went to Brazil, came back. And he approached me with uh, Riyad Pahad, whose father once uh, was the director Dynamos, the late Ismail Pahad, uncle also in government, and said to me, listen, coach, we want to start a development. Because we always spoke to them about Brazil and the academies and how well those uh, academies are run and how they produce players. He said, coach, and I said, okay, fine. I can't do it now because I'm involved with the team, Santos, but I can advise you. And I advised them in, in, in the absence of being there physically. And then when I got back to Kaiser Chiefs, I coached there and we, we did quite well that season. Left there after Middendorf joined them, went to Sundowns for a while. And then the academy was approached by a gentleman from Sweden, Bo Nielsen. He was in charge of 
a team called Helsingborg. And um, he said, look, I'm only prepared to come on board with the academy if Farouk comes on full time. So I had to make a choice. I'm working for Patrice. He's looking after me financially. I can't complain. This man is very generous. I mean, win bonus at that time was ten to 15,000 a game. So I'm talking about 2005, where if you earn 40 or 50,000 bonus in South Africa, just win bonus without yourself, you're doing fairly well. But coach, I'll tell you my salary when I was playing. It was 900 rand. <laughs> <laughs> sure, I can imagine. And bonus, they used to bonus was 100 rand, coach. Bonus is 100 rand. <laughs> you. So he would come into the change room, Patrice, with his uh, accountant in, 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 in tow, and he said to him, uh, Jose, because Jose eventually became the, 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 the CEO at, at Supersport. Jose Ferreira, top guy. Jose, what's the bonus? And Jose would say, uh, President, 3,000 a win. He said, no, 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 no. My guys can't drive Toyotas. Give them 10, give them 12, give them 15. So he would really be very cheap. So there was no problem financially. So I had to make a decision. I sat down with the wife. I said, listen, yeah, we're doing well with Sundays. I'm earning in excess of 100 a month after tax. Yeah, I'm going to earn nothing with the academy. Are you prepared? He says, what is, what is your gut feelings? What is your gut feeling? Do you believe in this project? Do you believe in this concept? I said, I do. But I also need to ensure that there's food on the table. She said, I'm going to help you out. So she kept on working. And I then went into the academy. First crop of players so, came so in. So hold on, coach. You walked away from a top job earning top, top money to go into an academy with possibly not knowing financial rewards. Absolutely. And I mean, I was assistant to Gordon and I was... By Patrice, I was obviously targeted to become the head coach. I knew that because at the time he said to me, once in the future, we would want you to become the head coach. So I had this opportunity to have become the head coach at Sundance. Now I make this decision and I say to him, and he phones me one evening and says, coach, please reconsider because I needed a reason. And it's quite funny. The reason came via Kevin Johnson. He was head of youth. And I have a certain way of walking and I'm quite tall and I have a certain way of walking on the field and Gordon chirped to one of the guys outside and look at Farouk, he walks like he's the head coach. And that was enough ammunition for me to say, no, enough is enough. I went in, I gave my resignation. Patrice, why? I said, no, I can't work for somebody who's threatened by me. He's making this chirp. Gordon then apologized. No, Farouk, I didn't mean it. I just meant, you know, I just said, you jack the lead. I said, I know what jack the lead means. You want to be, the, you know, you want to be the man. I don't want to be the man. I want to respect you. I want you to continue. I moved on. That was the reason I needed. Patrice tried to convince me. I said, no, I'm not going to come back. And I followed my dream of making this academy work. Very difficult at first. No proper training fields. We had to go into places where we were chased off the fields. But we persevered. And the first crop was the likes of Mamus Languitukelo, Ranti, Sibusisu Kumalo, uh, Tefu Mashaimai. All those guys who became pros, we started. Trained twice a day. Morning, they would get up at 5, go to training, go after that to school, come back in the after. So we were really making lots of sacrifices. My house became a mini gym at night where they would do certain types of strength training. But only, I think it was about 2011, where the first player got, got selected to go abroad. It started with the players. We used to send them to Mozambique because my partners from there, just to gain experience, joining clubs like Atlantico, uh, what's it? Um, not Atlantico, so, uh, Costa de Sol, those type of teams, they're good teams. And they would gain that experience. But life was tough. It made them physically and mentally stronger, you know. And then uh, we played a friendly against uh, Orlando Pirates. The coach there was Julio Liao. 
And uh, there was a player who never made it professionally. What a player. Um, he was uh, physically very short. Oshek, wonderful player. He was in midfield pulling the strings and he put through Tokelo on a number of... And we beat their first team with their first team players. We beat them too. And the coach said to me, coach, what do you think? Do you think this boy who scored today would be able to make it at the... At the professor, I said, close your eyes. Because he was my professor in Brazil. I was very blessed in Brazil to have uh, likes of Julio Leal, uh, Carlos Alberto Pereira, Zagalo. They were my tactical professors. And when me and Kevin and the other guys went, we were we were in a company of legends of the game, you know. So when he asked me that question, I said, and son, uh, Pirate Simon. But fortunately for us, to some extent, he, was, he wasn't our player. He was a player signed to Bowenham in Sweden. So they signed... Tokelo on a loan, Pirates. And he scored a lot of goals. Because the first thing I said to him is, when you get to Pirates, become the best friend of Benny McCarthy. If Benny McCarthy says to you, go and clean my car or rinse my car, you go and wash his car. Don't refuse. And even Benny became tight. And Benny set him up and gave him so much insight. Because Benny had so much to offer. I mean, coming from where he had, won the Champions League with Porto, whatever. What a, what, a, what a track record. And this lighty just blossomed. And then at the end of the season, my partner approached him and says, look, uh, we want X for the player. They said, no, it's too much for a youngster. We took him to, back to, to Sweden. He signed for Malmo. And guess what? Six months later, Bournemouth came, signed him. And that was where the academy made the first impact, where we had enough now to put back into the academy. But as time went on, we then produced a number of other players that went on. And today, the academy now houses 60 players. We have them in-house, we feed them, we school them, we coach them, we transport them to games, but we don't have a sponsor. So we're doing it out of pocket. I work for Supersport, that helps a lot. We're trying to balance the books. And obviously we have a commercial side where kids come in and they train and they pay a certain nominal fee. So the academy is going on. But if only we had a sponsor, I would like to take this academy to the next level where we can get in biokinetics, where we can get in uh, proper physical trainers, where we can have these boys uh, go to tours, you know, gain experience going abroad. And this is where the challenge comes in. We, as a small academy, don't attract the bigger sponsors because bigger sponsors want to be associated with bigger clubs. You know how it works in the, in the industry as such. But we will never give up because the kids eat three meals a day. They train. And you know what? There is so much talent coming through that we're excited. We want to hopefully take this concept to other parts of the country so that we can ensure that more players become well-rounded and developed so we can have a better uh, future as, as far as South Africa is going on the international circuit. Well, coach, we will play our part. You are playing your part today. The interview that we've had, we will use social media to spread your message far and wide. Uh, but I just want to say thank you for your words of wisdom, your encyclopedic knowledge of football, which I, I found fascinating to listen to. And, and thank you just for, for, for being that good person in South Africa, creating this development for youngsters. Thank you. No, thank you. Thank you for having me. And, uh, and I hope you, we, I wish you all the best. The work you're doing of, of making people aware, especially outside, you know, outside our borders, to see that there is so much that can be achieved uh, and, and to ensure that at least there's a voice that is heard, that there is a plight in South Africa where we have the talent, we have the potential. All we need to do is start mining it. It's like we were known to, to produce the best diamonds, the best minerals, gold diamonds. 
but we had to mine those. And if you look at Kimberley, you've been there, I'm sure I've been heard, heard of it. It's a huge hole and it took years to, to, you know, to dig out those diamonds. We have those red diamonds in South Africa. We're not polishing it. We're not cutting it. And that is why you see so many of our players that end up going abroad, don't make it. It's not because they're not talented enough. It's because we haven't developed them. We haven't refined them. We haven't polished that diamond sufficiently to make it a, a diamond that can shine on the international scene. Coach Farouk, thank you. You've been a wonderful guest for us. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure, sir. All the best. And hopefully we'll chat again in the future. What a fantastic interview we've just had with Coach Farouk Khan, who's the Stars of Africa Technical Director, uh, leading a, a brilliant academy, trying to make the right pathways and waves across the South African country. Thank you, Coach. You've been fantastic. And for our supporters out there, please make sure you like our videos. Make sure you come on and enjoy them at the On The Whistle podcast. We are here providing you with updates, letting you know all the ins and outs about football and also bringing to you names that are making big waves that people don't necessarily know about.